This morning as we uh, come to the end of a, a journey that we've been on as a church, uh, it's been a great one. And as we've been going through the book of Psalms and, and each week kind of chewing on a different psalm and, and trying as a church to learn what it looks like to not just understand the theological truths of God, but to, uh, to experience those in our lives. It, it's been a very uh, a challenging season in many ways. And today as we close, I want us to remember that the Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. The Bible is a very big book, right? It's 66 books written by 40 different authors over the span of over a thousand years, written on three completely different continents. And there's a temptation when we read the Bible to reduce it simply to this idea of some morality or being good enough in ourselves to go to heaven or to view the Bible as like self-help, how to raise healthy families and have good jobs and make a bunch of, of money. But the Bible answers one question, essentially. What happens with this gap between God and man? See, the Bible is not a scientific text. We have science for that. The Bible answers a different question. How do sinful people who have rebelled against God become reunited with a perfect and holy God? The Bible tells a story, but it tells a story in the context of answering a huge question that every single human wonders. Why am I here? And if God is there, why am I living in a sinful existence in a sinful world? And this is why we say that ultimately the Bible is all about Jesus. Not because every single chapter contains the name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. That's not why we say it's all about Jesus. Every story in the Bible is not about the crucifixion. The reason why we say the Bible is all about Jesus is because ultimately Christ answers the question of the Bible. How to sinful people who are far from God become united with a perfect and holy God? And the answer this morning is Jesus. And as we close our our sermon series in the Psalms, I want to highlight and I want to sum it up. I want to conclude with saying, look, when we read the Psalms, we're looking for Christ. Because the fulfillment of everything that David talks about in Psalm 40, which is where we're going to be this morning, is found in the grace of God. And sometimes I wonder if we really walk in here realizing that we are a redeemed people living in God's grace. I had the opportunity this week to speak at HBU's orientation, that's Houston Baptist University's freshman orientation. And uh, I gave a short little speech on why it's important to be an alumni. But when I went there this week, I mean, there was an energy in that university. Like, you walked into that room, and it's like, I mean, it's a small school, so like over a thousand kids, which is big for us, right, in the freshman class. Over a thousand kids packed in this room, and I mean, there was just this tangible presence of excitement that you could feel. Because it's like a new beginning for all these freshmen. They're, they're starting all over, and, and whatever happened in high school, they might have been the nerd, right? Or, or they might have been the, the arrogant jock, and they made some mistakes. Or maybe in high school, they were, um, they'd made some mistakes. They did things they shouldn't have done. But, but college is a brand new, fresh start. It's a brand new experience. And I wonder if the church should be more like that every time we gather. Should there be this energy that we are a redeemed and forgiven people because of what Jesus did? 
Should there be an energy, like it does not matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday, how many stupid mistakes you've, you've done. If you can find the faith to trust Jesus in this moment right now, your life can be forever different. Today is a good day. Today is an exciting day because we live in the light of Jesus' wonderful grace. But the question throughout the entire Bible is how do we get that energy? How do we get that hope? How do we get that optimism and that enthusiasm? How do we receive the salvation? And what I want to make the case for this morning is that biblically, from Genesis to, to John to Romans to Revelation, it has always been through faith. That God has done different things throughout history, but it is always faith in God that opens grace in our lives. Turn with me to Psalm 40 at this time. That's where we're going to be today. And this is a long psalm, as many of you know. And so today, uh, in order to to give the text its integrity and its full due, we're just going to be in the first eight verses. But what we're going to see today is the way how David understood how God saves people. And I want to wrestle with you with some theological questions. I'm going to be honest, today's going to be more of a a studious Sunday. I've got a couple stories in there, but I mean, we're going to really study deep. We're going to look at Old Testament stories. We're going to look in Hebrews and Psalms and be all over the place. Um, But stand with me as we read Psalm 40, and then we'll see how faith ultimately opens grace in our lives. Psalm 40 says this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. And sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come, and the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. May God bless his word. May be seated at this time. In Psalm 40, what we find is that God's grace, God's saving grace, ultimately comes from those who have faith and trust in the Lord. There's a common question that's asked, and uh, I, I studied this, or had this question a lot while I was training, uh, essentially, in, in seminary. And people will ask the question, how were people saved in the Old Testament? Because we believe in the church today that salvation only comes through Jesus, right? Like it's, it's not through Muhammad, it's not through Oprah, it's not through, you know, being a good person. Yeah, by the way, it's so, 
whenever you ask somebody, like, how, how does a person get saved? And they give you, like, some random, ambiguous, well, you be a good person. And you're like, what does that mean? They're like, you always get really weird, shallow. I mean, like, they've obviously not thought about it in their life, right? Like, they're, they're like, make, well, you know, just don't kill anybody. And, you know, just set the bar so low, you know? And, and the question becomes, like, so if, if Christ is salvation, what about people before Jesus came? And one of the things that, that biblical theology will, will tell us is that before we begin answering this question, we must really believe what the gospel says in the sense that when you understand that Jesus was literally God, it makes this question a lot easier to understand, okay? I think we don't understand the doctrine of the Trinity often, how it's Father, Son, and Spirit, three distinct people, but, but in one God, like one God in unison, Sometimes a good analogy can be the same way that we are mind, body, and spirit, right? Like they, but we all work together, we're one person. And so what happens is when you realize that Jesus is God, you realize that Christ is eternal with the Father. He was not created, he didn't just come out of nowhere, he didn't just, wasn't created by God and then came 2,000 years ago. He's always been there. And when you realize that Jesus is God, and ultimately through him as the mediator, we come to God the Father, you realize that essentially the people of the Old Testament were talking with Jesus. They were dealing with the saving God. And what we see is that ultimately in the Old Testament, and this is the argument I want to make this morning, people in the Old Testament were saved the same way we're saved today, through faith in God. We look at the story in, uh, of Noah in Genesis 6 through 7, uh, of, of Noah and the flood, right? And we get so focused on, like, the boat and, like, how high the waves were. And we get so focused on all these, like, details of the story. But the whole point of the story of Noah is that God was restarting this world. He, he saw the world had walked away from him, and he chose Noah. And, and the reason why Noah was ultimately saved was because he had faith in what God said. You say, well, he was saved because he built a boat. Why did he build a boat? Because he had faith in God. Because when God said, hey, build a boat, he said, cool, I'm going to do it. Like, let's, I'll build the boat, right? He didn't say, God, I'm just not sure. I'm a little skeptical. You know, he, like, he could have been skeptical, but when the rain started coming, right, it wouldn't matter how he felt deep in his heart. He didn't listen to what God said. You look in Genesis 15 in the story of Abraham. When, when God tells Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless this world through you and through your line. You're going to leave your comfortable land. You're going to go out here. You're going to start a new people, a new nation. And I'm going to be with you. And through your descendants, I'm going to bless the entire world. And Abraham says, well, God, that, that's great. But um, I don't have a son. You can't have a family line without a son, can you? And God says, Abraham, I will give you a son. And it says in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed the Lord when he said this, and he counted it to him as righteousness. The prophet Habakkuk says the same thing, that those who have faith in God will be saved. People were saved in the Old Testament by trusting in God and not idols and not their works, the law kept showing them their works weren't good enough, remember? They kept making a bunch of mistakes. And then ultimately in Psalm 40, we see this exact same thing. 
Verses one through three, this is David in a tough time in his life, needing salvation from a certain situation. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up, just, he, just in his sovereignty, he drew me up from the pit of destruction of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When we have faith, God's grace bursts into our life. When you believe Jesus, when you believe that he is truly the son of God, come to reconcile us, come to fix our sins and and pay the penalty for us, you can then begin to build a boat or maybe then your life based upon the things that he has said. And what Psalm 40 shows us is that while we are in the new covenant, while we come to faith through Christ, because God gives us his grace, but, but now where we're at, God's grace has been revealed to us, as Paul says, through Jesus and through his redeeming work. But it's still through faith in God. And Christ is simply the ultimate fulfillment of the reality that those who trust in the Lord will be saved. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of the way that God has always saved his people. I had a story this week where I, um, I had a guitar that I needed to get fixed. And unfortunately, my guy who fixes it lives all the way in Kingwood now. And so I had to drive all the way out there um, on Friday around afternoon. So there was a lot of traffic. And he told me, hey, come here at this time on Friday and you can pick up your guitar. And so I said, okay. So I headed out there. I'm on my way out there to get this guitar. And I'm about 20 minutes away, and I'm really kind of in a hurry because i got a lot of stuff i got to do. I said, hey, man, I text him. I said, hey, I'm almost there. Just letting you know. Be there in 20 minutes to pick it up. And he texts me back. He says, uh-oh. <laughs> he says, I'm in a meeting all the way across town. I said, great. And I was kind of frustrated. I was kind of miffed. And so I texted him back kind of passively aggressively. You know how you do in text messages. you kind of passive aggressive, you know. I said, I will wait, dot, dot, dot. I'll be to Starbucks. How long will you be? trying to like kind of force his hand a little bit, because this guy works from home, mind you. He works from home, so it's not like he's off at his job. He works from home. He's just made an appointment when he told me he was going to be there. So I'm at a Starbucks waiting, and it's a couple hours, and I'm getting real frustrated, really stressed out, because I really need this guitar, and I've got dinner planned, so i got to get back. And it got to the point where I could only stay maybe 30 minutes longer, and I had to head back. And I texted him. I said, hey, man, I really need to get this guitar from you. You said you're going to be here. Where are you at? He said, I'm still in this meeting. It's going to be another two hours. I like squeezed my Starbucks drink, you know, just not happy, you know, just not happy at all. Really frustrated, you know, just wanting God's justice to come down in this moment, you know. And, and this is a completely true story. Um, and it's going to seem trivial to you, but it's important to me in my life, right? And as I was giving up, I said, you know what, I'm just going to come home. I'm, I can't do anything. I was very frustrated. Um, I began to think to myself, or I almost felt like God telling me, trust me with this, right? Trust me with it. And so I started kind of thinking through it. I didn't give in to my initial feeling of frustration or anger. I started thinking, hey, God loves me. His grace is on my life. Like I was telling you earlier, it's it's a new day. It's okay. Whatever happens, no matter what, it's going to be okay. And I got to this point where I felt like God's peace just came over me in such a a cool way. And I said, you know, okay, it didn't work out. I'm going to go back. I kind of wasted three hours, but I'm going to head back and and trust. I'm going to trust that somehow God is going to use this for his glory and for my good, like this wasted time. And I kid you not, I shut the laptop 
the second I shut my laptop, God's my witness, don't strike me down, I get a text message from the guy. And it's funny because he didn't know that I was like obviously praying to God about this, right? He didn't know I was basically praying for God's help. His text message to me was literally, he said, wow, meeting just ended, be there in 30. And I was like, it works. (laughs) It's true. It's like, I'm not preaching a lie, you know? And once again, it seems trivial to you, but it was important to me. And it was ruining my day. And I'll say one more story later on that really ruined my day. But it was ruining my day. And when we begin to trust God, his grace begins to enter our lives. And it's not always through material possessions, though it could be, or through money. It's just through the peace that he gives. And this whole summer, I've loved preaching this because I'm not asking you to do a bunch of stuff. I'm not asking you to keep the law. I'm asking you simply to trust that God is with you in your daily life and that if you will follow him, then you will be able to do things that are fruitful in this kingdom that God is creating. It's real simple. We just are called to simply have faith in God and it is the faith in God that opens his grace in our lives. And what I'm trying to tell you this morning is that from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it has always been those who have trusted God. And Christ is the fulfillment of this. But you may say, what about works? What about the law? And what about sacrifice in the Old Testament? This is very confusing, right? Like people, you give them a Bible and they start reading Leviticus and like, man, this is a lot more complicated than you said on Sunday morning. (laughs) It's a lot different. Like, it it ain't all about Jesus and love and peace. I mean, what's up with like, you know, sacrificing the slaughter of the lambs and, you know, what's up with like all these things happening? Let's look at Psalm 40, verse 6 through 8. I want you to read this. It says, this is David talking about God. This is a guy in the midst of the Old Testament, in the midst of the law, of all these things. And and listen to what he says, because I think sometimes we mischaracterize the Old Testament. He says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. Did God command people to make offerings in the Old Testament? Yes, at times. Did God command Noah to build a boat? Yes. Was, God, was Noah saved because he built a boat or because he obeyed God? Because he obeyed God. Faith is the source of our actions. God did not need some animal that some guy had to be sacrificed in order for God to be appeased. What that would have been is what they call an offering. It's a, it's a representation of their heart, of their desire to be repentant, of their desire for God to forgive them. What, what the sacrifice would show is that they truly were repentant and they were truly following God now. Because it is always the heart that counts. Maybe you've been following this whole thing in Ferguson, Missouri. I mean, it has just been a tragic story. And, you know, every time we think that we've got it as a nation or we've overcome something, something like this happens, and it's just like this huge firestorm. I'm sure most of you know about it, but for those of you who don't, um, long story short, there was an 18-year-old uh, black guy who was shot and killed by the cops in Ferguson, Missouri. And there's two sides to the story. Um, some people are saying that the cop shot him because he was a black guy and he was profiling him and trying to go after him. 
And the side of the cop is that, no, the guy was attacking me and I was simply acting in self-defense and, and we're going back and forth, right? And everyone keeps saying this weird thing that I, I completely disagree with, right? Like they keep saying, well, it's all about the facts, right? We just got to get the facts, right? The facts of the case. That's what we need to know. And, and yeah, the facts are important, but don't you interpret the facts based upon the intention of the heart? Because the fact is that, yes, this man shot this kid. We know that. Like that, that's been proven. He shot this kid. He killed him. But the question is, was he doing it out of a sense of self-defense or was he doing it because he didn't like this kid because of the, the kid because of the color of his skin? And the reason why a relationship with God is so important is because every action you do is only dependent upon the state of your heart. You can help a, a lovely senior adult across the street, and if you're doing it because you think they're rich and they will give you money, it's a bad thing. If you do it because you love them and you want them to be safe, well, then it's a good thing, isn't it? But David says that in sacrifice, you have not delighted. You have not re required it. God has always wanted repentant hearts for sin. And whether that was through sacrificing a lamb or through coming to faith in Jesus today, it's always repentant hearts from the beginning to the end having faith in God. If you want to unlock the grace of God in your life, whatever it is, you trust God. You trust him, you believe him, and every time you feel that sense of anxiety or that sense of worry that we all struggle with, that's a great indicator that something's not right. Maybe I haven't surrendered something in my life. I don't trust that God's gonna work out my job or my marriage, or I don't trust him. I'm not really having faith as an Abraham that he's gonna give me a son that I need. Faith opens the grace of God and unleashes it in our life. In Hebrews chapter 10, this all comes together. The author of Hebrews, and it'll be up on the screen here, talking about what David said here and comparing it to Christ. I want you to read this very closely. He says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like God calling you to do something or telling you to do something. And then you do it. And then you turn around and say, God, hey, I did what you asked. I'm saved, right? I'm good enough, right? When we don't realize that faith is the source of action, we get all sorts of confusion. And the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the cross, is that it's the ultimate fulfillment of the Old Testament. It was never about good works. It was always about faith. 
And when you realize that it was always about faith, and then that God, through Jesus, steps into the world to die for sins, it's such a, I mean, I don't think we realize, like, in the Old Testament, they would have been very familiar with sacrifice. And some people would even argue that the reason why God emphasized sacrifice in the Old Testament was so that when Christ come, they would really get it. They would really understand, that they, they understood completely, the Jews, uh, about what sacrifice was and how when you sinned, you had to sacrifice something. You sinned, you had to give something up. You had to atone, you had to make it even. And, and so every time you messed up, you'd have to sacrifice. But then when God comes and sacrifices himself, that's why Peter, James, and John were just like, you, I, I can't believe that, that, that you're sacrificing yourself for us. See, God always knew that he was the sacrifice. He always knew that his son would be the sacrifice for sin. From the second that Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, God knew in his sovereignty that Jesus would be the forgiveness of the sins of humanity. And God just wanted faith. That ultimately led to action. In Hebrews eleven six, it says, without faith it is impossible to please God. You can sacrifice all you want. You can do a bunch of good works. You can help a bunch of people. And without faith in God, without that unity with God, without that grace in his life through your faith in him, God is not pleased. I love the verse. He says, but you have given me an open ear. If you, if you really translated that from the Hebrew uh, to English, really word for word, it would almost say, David, David was saying, ears you have dug for me. Like, you didn't want sacrifice. You wanted me to, to hear your word. You see, God didn't want atonement. He wanted relationship. God gave us prayer, this ability through, through Christ to, to, to talk to God. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want your, your money. He doesn't want your offering. He doesn't want your works. He just wants you. And God wants all of us. That's the, that's the hard part. Let's be honest. The hard part is all of it. It's like, imagine if I was like proposing to my wife and I said, hey, baby, will you marry me? And she said, yeah, I'll marry you except on Thursdays. I'm like, What? So yeah, we'll be married, but just not on Thursday. Every Thursday, we're not married anymore. But, but then on Friday, we're married again. It'd be shady, right? It'd be like, why? That's weird. That, no, like, I want all of you. And God wants all of our trust, all of our faith, all of our dependence. Because he knows he's going to take care of us. God is going to take care of us. And when he came to the world, he sealed the deal and said, all you have to do now is to, is to trust in me and my grace will be unleashed in your life. See, faith is just ultimately the source of our actions. From the beginning, God wanted the hearts of his people, not the works of his people. This is good news for you this morning. If you're not a Christian, I'm not asking you to be a perfect person. I'm, I'm saying surrender to Jesus. Like, just open his word and read it tomorrow and say, okay, so what do I need to do now? I trust that I need to do what he says. Now what? And you will be saved through your faith in Jesus Christ. And I'll close with this idea. 
And I think this is one of the hard parts of it. So faith unleashes the grace of God in our lives, always. But then you read verse 8, when David says, I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. And we read this, and we're like, I delight to do your will, oh my God, your law is within my heart. And, and we say it like, we don't really believe the delight part, you know? Some of you, you make following Jesus like, oh, I can't sin, I can't lie, I can't commit, oh my gosh. I mean, it's just like, like your back's hurt. I mean, just, it looks horrible, right? Like, it's like you're going to the dentist. It's just like, good grief. I mean, you make it look so miserable, I don't want none of that. I want torture. But David delights to do the will of God. And that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? Not just to trust him like, oh God, I hate this life, but I trust you. It's like, God, I trust you. I'm, I'm excited to follow you. I, uh, I told you there was going to be a second part to that story. On my way out to get that guitar um, that I went to get, uh, I had the unfortunate situation where I popped my tire, and I got a flat tire. And I was, uh, I was over at Shepherd and Pinemont, and I got a flat tire, and I'm frustrated. It's like mid-August in Houston, and so it's really hot outside. And, you know, you're, like, you're sitting outside, and like, you have the AC pumping, and like, you, you gradually feel like the AC getting like, less cool and less cool and less cool because your car's not like, actually running. And so I'm in a really bad mood, and so I, I, I did what every urban city boy does. I call it AAA and, um, to fix my tire for me. And uh, luckily, by God's grace, they were there pretty shortly. And um, unfortunately, I don't have a jack in my car. Um, but I called AAA, and I had one of the most interesting experiences with a tow truck driver that probably any of us in this room will ever have. Um, you know, normally tow truck drivers, they're like these big burly guys, right? And, and they're pretty, you know, laid back or whatever, tough guys or whatever. And surely enough, the, the, the AAA thing pulls up behind me about to fix my tire. And, of course, it's a big burly guy getting out of this tow truck. However, this is not just your average big burly guy. This is a big burly guy who has what they call a, a pep in his step, okay? This guy was the most enthusiastic, upbeat tow truck driver, I'm going to fix your tire guy that I have ever met. I mean, he like hops out the car. I mean, he literally just like hops out the car, you know? And it was like he'd been looking forward to change my tire all week. And he was finally there to make, he's like, man, I've been looking forward to this. He's like, hey, man, what's up? You know, he's like, he's like shoulder bumping me like we're like long lost friends or something. I'm like, what is going on? And he's like, he's like, hey, man, what's going on? He's just upbeat, enthusiastic, and like just, just making my day. You know, I'm like, I'm like sweating, right? I'm like drenched in sweat, already missed one appointment, trying to get the second, not doing well. And God just sends an angel to me just to pump me up, you know? He said, man, he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, well, man, I, I popped my tire. I, I need my spare. I'm not even sure if it works. Can you air it up for me? I don't know if it's any good. He's like, yeah, man, we'll get you taken care of real quick. And so he's all like, like energetic. And he's like kind of like skipping around and everything. And I kid you not, like he rolls out the jack to like jack up my car. And he's like dancing while he's like, he's like dancing while he's doing it, you know? He's like doing it to like a rhythm. And I'm like, this is great. I'm like, this, this, is, this is phenomenal. And then, like, then the jack doesn't work because he put it on the wrong place. He's like, I know, big deal, man. He puts it down, pulls it back, and just pumps it, pumping it back up, you know. And he gets it done in, like, literally five minutes, and he airs up my tire for me, which I couldn't have done on my own. And he leaves, and I'm just like, what just happened? I mean, he was like, I mean, he was this big, he was, like, telling about his family and his kids and every, I mean, just telling about everything. And, and it's funny, when you encounter people like that, it makes you feel convicted about your negative attitude, doesn't it? 
The reason why really negative people don't like happy people is because they're negative people. And this guy delights in his job, okay? And he's not a rock star. He's not a successful, rich entrepreneur. He's not, you know, a missionary winning millions of people in Africa. He's not like some, like, rock star, amazing. Like, he's a tow truck driver, which is awesome. And he loves it. And we're like, delight in God, and, you know, I delight to do your will. Oh, my God. And, you know, it's like, Really? Do you delight in God's will or do you hate God's will? Do you love stepping out in faith and following Christ and, and trying through the power of the Spirit to craft your life in his image? Or, or do you just like, oh man, here we go. If you believe this morning that God loves you, and if, if you believe that he, is, he has come in Jesus to save you and to reconcile us and to build this church into a beautiful family of redemption in this community, city, and the world, if we really believe this, we should be like a freshman, hopeful orientation that is pumped to show up today because God is going to do a new work as we scatter out of this building today. God is going to do wonderful things. And his grace is going to be unleashed in my life when I walk out of here, no matter what happens, no matter what comes my way, God's grace will cover me, be with me. I will do great things. I will share the name of Jesus. I will grow in my walk. I will accomplish much of my time here. And I will go to be with him in eternity forever simply because I have faith in him. And I believe that this morning. And maybe you forgot that. And maybe you're not delighting. But let me remind you today, delight in God. Delight in his law. And it will produce grace in your life. And the same way that David knew, like beyond a shadow of a doubt, David knew that, that I'm a messed up person. I've done a lot of things wrong. I've you know, in Psalm 40, I mean, David, at this point, he's, he's like committed, like broken like every commandment. He's like doubling up on sin, like, like nailing three sins at one time, like adultery, lying, I mean, just everything, right? And then that guy starts asking God to save him from the pit of destruction. And David, as messed up as he was, had faith in God that led him to change his life and to do great things. And I know you're messed up, and I'm messed up too. And I'll be honest with you, I felt like this week I sinned more than average. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> man, when you're a preacher, like sin feels like twice as convicting, you know? It's like, oh man, you know? Like, you get frustrated, angry, you know, just a little, I mean, you know, I, just like, what's going on? It's just... I'm like, oh wait, it's the grace of God. I'm not going to try hard. I'm just going to trust his provision in my life. I'm going to pray to him. I'm going to trust him. And God's grace will be released in my life because I have faith in Jesus. And Jesus is God's hand stretched out to us 
to save us and to redeem us now and forever. And I'll just close with this thought that maybe you're here this morning and you realize that you've messed up and that you know if you were to die today, you're not right with God. You just know that. You're 100% positive about that. Like, I just don't know. I'm like completely uncertain. In Jesus, simply through faith in him, through our life being given to him, Jesus says, those of you who are burdened and uncertain and unsure, come to me. I will give you rest. I will give you peace. And I will give you assurance. Today, if you want the grace of God unleashed in your life for now and for eternity, you need only have faith in Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you that, Lord, your, your word is just so clear. From the beginning to the end, God, you have wanted your people to love you and to trust you, God. And as the church this morning, God, as we've, as we've gathered here together, Lord, we just know that we just have to trust you, God. We just have to depend on you, Lord. That whatever is weighing on us in this moment, whether it's our, our personal salvation or maybe it's a job or a relationship, God, we know that we just need to say, God, I'm going to do my best, Lord, and I'm going to trust that your grace is going to cover me. And God, I pray that you would begin to build our lives and to build this church upon a simple faith in Christ. And God, we know that you call us to do great things in our lives, Lord. It's not simple in that regard, but we know that it starts with a simple faith in Jesus. We stop trying to do things our way and, and trying to be perfect in our own actions, and we just accept that, that you came, Christ, and you died for us. And we need only believe. I pray your spirit would move in this congregation, God. I pray that you would fall upon us in this place, God. Help us to, to grow more in you. Help us to make disciples, God. Help us to do everything that we're called to do, but it seems so hard. We need your spirit this morning, God. We need you to move in our church and move in our lives. We have faith in you. And we're ready to do great things. And all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you need to pray at this time, the altar will be open. If you need to learn